Hey, welcome back to A Verse, A Comment, A Prayer, A Blessing. Today is February 15th, 2024, and we are continuing through the book of 1 Samuel. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled from the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, also Hopni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant about and about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. About the time of her death, the women attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, because my and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured." Now, just some, some comments here. First, uh, I know everyone is upset that I was not able to share this particularly uplifting passage on Valentine's Day yesterday, um, but I've been down with a pretty bad headache for the last two days, migraine or sinus or something like that. I really had a hard time keeping my eyes open. Uh, so I hope you'll forgive me for not uh, blessing you on Valentine's Day with this message and that you can pick it up today. Um, haha, right? Obviously, this is a tragic passage. Eli receives the awful news that his two sons have been killed and the ark of the Lord has been captured by the Philistines. Based on the way that this message reads, there appears to be an intentional order to the awful news. First, the messenger uh, from the tribe of Benjamin reports that the Israelites have been defeated. Uh, The winners of war do not typically flee from it as he had reported. Second, the news of the death of Eli's two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, is reported. And regardless of the fact that Eli had already heard the prophecy about uh, about his sons from Samuel uh, regarding their just destruction for their behavior as priests, um, we should expect Eli to be heartbroken over the loss of his boys. Yet it's this final piece of the news of the capture of the Ark of the Lord that you can almost say metaphorically and literally kills Eli. The symbol of the Lord's presence in the midst of his people had been taken away. The glory of the Lord, as manifested by the presence of the ark, had literally departed from among the people of Israel. And upon hearing the news, Eli falls to his death. 
The author includes a detail also about Eli's weight at the time of his death, which I think hints to the fact that it was not only Eli's sons who were enriching themselves from the people's offering, but also Eli himself. It's an interesting detail to throw in there if it's not significant for understanding something about Eli's own um, life. I mean, let's face it, uh, anyone that falls at 98, you would expect bad um, results. But the fact that he includes this detail about his weight would make me think that um, it's pointing out that Eli also, like his sons, enjoyed um, um, the richest portions of the offerings to the neglect of his, his, his priestly duties. So in this final scene of the story, though, um, it moves from Eli to Eli's daughter-in-law, uh, who, due to the grief of the news of the death of her husband, goes into labor, and due to the difficulty of that labor, she dies as well. However, before she dies, the miswives inform her that she has born a son. Um, she, however, would not be comforted by this news, for she names the son Ichabod, which means no glory or the glory has departed. The birth of Eli's grandson, Ichabod, points to the departure of the glory of God among the people of Israel. As one commentator notes it, and this is a really helpful um, uh, section that's got some Bible verses that I'm not going to repeat, but that you can look at in the notes here. It says, Banishment from the presence of God was a penalty threatened in the covenant. But here it is God who has departed the land. Glory, from the same root as... Um, heavy or honored, probably goes beyond a reference to the ark as such, obliquely pointing to the Lord himself, or at any rate, his glory presence. The concluding words are the narrator's commentary emphasizing what has brought this about. God abandonment is the tragic outcome for a people who have abandoned their God. That is a profound... I'm going to read that again. God abandonment is the tragic outcome for a people who have abandoned their God. Moreover, being abandoned by God, they are deprived of the symbol of His presence as well. How should we respond to this passage? Obviously, it's a passage from 1 Samuel. It's part of the Old Covenant. Um, what, what types of things can we draw out of this as principles for us as Christians? While there's a lot that could be said here, I think it's important for us to recognize that we cannot put our hope or our trust in our own religious performance, that external performance. It is possible to do external things without having an inward affection for God. Uh, this was the case with Eli and his sons. While they conducted their priestly service outwardly, their hearts were far from the Lord. We thus ought to examine not only our actions, but also our motives. As one commentator, in fact, it's the same commentator that has the really good comment about banishment mentioned, in all spiritual matters, there remains an absolute obligation for self-examination. He's drawing this upon 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32 in regards to the Lord's Supper. To state the principle in the form of a question, what I would ask is, what motives do you have to do the things that you do? What motivates you to do the things that you do? Are you motivated by the glory of God? Or are you motivated by the glory of self? If you are motivated by the glory of self, brothers and sisters, there will be no room for the glory of God. And when this is the case, I believe we need to read 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 12-22 through 22, as a warning. It should serve as a warning to all of us that we might keep our eyes on Christ, living for His glory alone, 
and not our own. And to that end, I want to invite you to pray with me today. Lord, uh, this is, again, just another tragic passage after a tragic passage, Lord, that should warn us. Lord, they are lessons for us. Lord, we, we see that taught in the New Testament, that these stories were written and recorded for us, that we might, that we might know you and fear you. And so, Lord, as, as we read this passage and we, we look for its redeeming significance for us, Lord, um, even under the New Covenant, Lord, we recognize that, Lord, you call us to examine our motives, even in the ways that we serve you. And so, Father, I pray that you would, you would check us and correct us and refine us. Lord, rebuke us where needed that we, Lord God, might live for your glory in the strength of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and that you would you would keep us from living to make our names great. Lord, uh, our, our names are meaningless um, in comparison to your great name. Let us live for the glory of your name, the glory of who you are, Lord, and not for ourselves. And Father, I pray that you would you would help us to see that we do this best, Lord, by trusting and putting our full hope in Christ. Lord, that is the reality that we need to be reminded of, is that, Lord, we cannot live for your glory apart from um, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would stir up those affections in our heart, that your Holy Spirit would attend our reflection upon your word, and that you would be well pleased with us in your Son as you are, and that we would hear that and know that and find comfort in living for your glory. Lord, find peace in living for your glory. Lord, we ask all these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And we bless you today. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Now our blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Be blessed, and I'll see you here tomorrow on a verse, a comment, a prayer, a blessing. Thank you for being a part of this newsletter. Thank you for sharing it with others and encouraging them to subscribe. And I encourage you in to continue to do so, and I thank you for doing so. Have a great day. Bye-bye.